This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Welcome to Podcast, produced by students in the Broadcasting for Radio and Contemporary Media program at Durham College. Hello and welcome to the Dolphin Dive Podcast, where we dive into a sea of topics. I'm your host, Keanu Dolphin. Let's get right into the episode. In about 20 seconds time, I want to talk to you about the historic Super Bowl game. Then I want to talk briefly about Black History Month and its importance. And to wrap up the show on a positive note, we'll take a look at the top places people want to go when the pandemic is over. Stay right here. All that is coming up next. And when the Super Bowl ended... The ball would be in the hands of Tom Brady. It has almost been a week since the Super Bowl game, and truthfully, I am still surprised from the outcome. 31-9? to If you told me the Chiefs weren't going to score a touchdown at the start of the game, I would have told you you're crazy, probably. But hey, this just proves that anything can happen on any given Sunday, right? And on the other side, Mahomes and the Chiefs, this was a tough loss. I know they wanted this one bad, but hey, Mahomes is still young, if that means anything to you Chiefs fans. I know you're probably still upset, but hey, Mahomes is still young. You guys will be back probably, and I'm not even a Chiefs fan, and I'm saying that. But with that said, a lot of crazy things did happen that night. It was the first time a team has hosted in the Super Bowl. Obviously, Tampa Bay was at home. Brady now has more Super Bowls than any other team in NFL history, and that was the first game Mahomes has lost by double digits in his career. Yeah. The guy just finished his fourth season in the NFL. That is crazy stuff. But overall, congrats to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Growing up as a Miami Dolphins fan, that is a huge compliment. So you're welcome, Tom. We declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being. Just a little reminder that it is the 45th annual Black History Month. And as a mixed Canadian, I take pride in learning more and more about my history every year and encourage you to do the same no matter what ethnicity you are. I know this year with everything going on can make it a little strange and difficult because there's not much going on in person, but there is a lot of really good articles, stories, videos out there at your dispense. And maybe with that little extra time stuck indoors, you'll be able to capitalize. After all, a wise man named Martin Luther King once said, intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. I know, almost a year into COVID-19 lockdowns and being locked in the house is starting to make you feel like you're living the same day over and over like the movie Groundhog Day. Nice going, boys. You're playing yesterday's tape. But in hopes for better days and to stay positive about the situation, no pun intended, let's look forward to the future when this pandemic is past us and look to the top places people want to travel when it's all said and done. Now, this list comes from Insider.com and it's based off searches that people have made after they heard about the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. Now, at the number five spot was Madrid, Spain. At the number four spot was Manchester, England. At three, Copenhagen, Denmark. Two, Paris, France. And at the number one spot, London, England. Now, that list was kind of expected besides the number three spot, Copenhagen. I gotta check that place out. And hey, who knows? You might find yourself in any of these places I named in 2021. With that marks the end of this week's show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. As always, I hope you have a great day. I'm Keanu Dolphin. This is the Dolphin Dive Podcast. Stay safe and see you next time. You are listening to podcasts produced by the Broadcasting for Radio and Contemporary Media Program at Durham College. 
Good morning and welcome to Canadian Automotive History. This week we're going to take a look at the incredible feat of engineering that goes into creating an automobile and take a closer look at how Canada contributed to the world's bustling automotive history. Our journey starts in 1869 with McLaughlin Carriage Company of Canada Limited. I'm out full, I know. Uh, Robert McLaughlin started the company after creating a patent for what he called the fifth wheel. The device, hard to decipher the actual function from the patent paperwork, was originally designed for horse-drawn carriages. The idea was it improved the safety and comfort of the rider while allowing a safer link or coupling between the horse and carriage. The same idea is used today on tractor trailers and 18-wheelers and known in the UK as lorries. This success of the fifth wheel was carried all the way to London, England. Now it's important to note that McLaughlin did not develop the only fifth wheel patent out there. There were many other people that did develop patents and they have been adopted into different companies. McLaughlin sold the carriage company in 1915 to Carriage Factories Limited, which was in Aurelia, Ontario. In good timing too, as this was the time when cars were beginning to be more widely manufactured and, and comfortable. Robert McLaughlin's son Sam McLaughlin, or Colonel Sam McLaughlin, decided to pick up where his father left off in the world of manufacturing. As carriage companies across the world were looking and working out uh, how to make their business prosper in a changing world, Sam McLaughlin was thinking of automobiles, the craze of the 20th century. McLaughlin decided to do some research into the product and purchased two automobiles made from different manufacturers. One was a Buick and the other a Jackson vehicle. He decided he liked the Buick model much better and in fact he used it as the inspiration for his designs in terms of the design of the exterior of the car. He created a company called, you guessed it, McLaughlin Motor Car Company Limited, maybe a little bit of a hard of a guess. McLaughlin worked out a contract between his company and Buick, which he was in conversation with during his time testing the Buick. This contract meant that he would purchase drivetrains from Buick in exchange for a large amount of stock and vice versa in each company, so both were to profit from the deal. McLaughlin's business partner, William C. Durant from Buick, decided to start a new division of Buick called General Motors, in which he personally managed. That was a bad idea, though, because GM eventually stopped production uh, due to a steady sales decline. McLaughlin bailed Durant out financially, and Durant took a different direction with the company, a direction that included racing driver Louis Chevrolet. Durant took repossession of General Motors in 1916 and McLaughlin supplied bodies for the cars while Durant helped supply Chevrolet engines. General Motors of Canada Limited was made in 1918 and bought McLaughlin and Chevrolet Canada and named the McLaughlin body model McLaughlin Buick. Later, uh, they later dropped that name in 1942 for reasons that I just for some reason could not find. Um, However, McLaughlin remained chairman of the board and vice president of GM until his death in 1972. You are listening to podcasts produced by the Broadcasting for Radio and Contemporary Media Program at Durham College. Hi, I'm Rakesha Harvey and welcome to Let's Talk Fashion. Coming up today, we'll be talking about the trends for 2021 that will prepare you to look fabulous for spring and summer. 
while it's been quite a year for the fashion world, this season has unveiled seriously bold and stylish designs, large and in-charge blazers, bold blue bags, and sleek face masks dominated Fashion Week over the last few weeks. This year, some of the most influential decades have played a huge role in this season's looks, and I am loving every single one of them. From Paris to Milan, find serious style inspirations with the top fashion trends spotted at Summer Spring 21 Fashion Week. So here are my top five. Oversized shoulder pad boyfriend jacket. An 80s inspired boyfriend blazer. You can rock this look with a pair of straight leg trousers, leather shorts for an ultra modern style. Colors that suit this trend are powdered blue, charcoal, neutrals. You can easily dress this up or down for an effortless, chic aesthetic. My second favorite is a black face mask. When it comes to protecting yourself, you may as well do it beautifully. These sleek black face masks match almost any outfit you wear and they offer a great coverage for your nose and mouth. Opt for a silky fabric for easy breathing or choose something with an embellishment if you're feeling fancy. The beauty behind this face covering is limitless styling opportunities that come along with it. Wear anything from a red trench coat to a black blocking suit and look exceptionally stylish. For my favorite fashion trend is headscarves. Taking inspiration from the 50s and the 60s, this sleek fashion trend is coming back in a big way. Headscarves protect your hair and add a finishing touch to your outfit without overdoing it. When styling this accessory, you can wrap the fabric under your chin in a loose knot or have it hanging off the back of your head, mixing things up by wrapping it around your neck or let it dangle from your bag. Channeling your inner Grace Kelly has never been easier with this classic go-to item. My fourth favorite is Sorbet Pastel Tones. Under the trend that continued to dominate this year and has been Pastel Tones. These Sorbet-inspired colors are the perfect option for summer and they suit a variety of skin tones. Choose from a boiler suit in a cool mint green or an oversized trench coat in soft lavender. Better yet, try them both simultaneously. Suits and separates in the soft and buttery hues elevates your overall aesthetic. I hope I've given some ideas of what spring and summer trends are going to look like. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Fashion and I will see you next week. You are listening to podcasts produced by the Broadcasting for Radio and Contemporary Media Program at Durham College. Welcome to The Zach Show. Hi, this is Zach Kingston and welcome to The Zach Show. Coming up today, we'll be discussing Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Some people see him as the GOAT of football and others see him as the guy who has just won seven Super Bowls. Whether you think he's great or you don't think he's so great, there are some things you should know about Tom Brady. There once was a guy named Tom who was drafted in the 18th round of the 1995 MLB Draft 
by the Montreal Expos, who would go on to be redrafted again, this time by the New England Patriots in the 2000 NFL Draft. He would then go on to spend 20 years with his career as a New England Patriot. I think you know who I'm talking about now. That's right, the one, the only, Tom Brady. During his time with the New England Patriots, the team would go to the Super Bowl nine times out of his 20 years with the Patriots, winning six of those nine times giving Tom Brady six Super Bowl rings as a New England Patriot. Last summer, he announced he was leaving the New England Patriots and going to Tampa to become a Buccaneer. Well, this season has now come and gone, and Brady's team, well, first, they made the playoffs. They played every playoff game on the road leading up to the Super Bowl, and won them all, and then by virtue of selection, the game was being held in Tampa, this being the Super Bowl, so the Buccaneers were hosting the Super Bowl and playing in the Super Bowl, hosting the Kansas City Chiefs, and not only did they win, they dominated Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and the team, the Buccaneers, won their first Super Bowl in a long time, and Tom Brady captured ring number seven, the most Super Bowl wins and the most Super Bowl rings of any player in NFL history. Tom Brady will go down in the history books. Here are some unique things about Tom Brady that you should know. First, he goes to bed probably earlier than any one of you do. His bedtime is 8.30. The reason is for this is because he gets up at 5.30 every morning. Secondly, Tom Brady reportedly uses games on his laptop and or tablet to help keep his brain sharp. Thirdly, Tom Brady doesn't eat all the same things we do as he's on a very strict diet to stay healthy. So he eats lots of vegetables and a lot of lean meats. Tom Brady loves to spend time with his kids as much as possible when he's not on the field. Tom Brady is a busy person, but he always makes time for his kids. The one area where Tom Brady is hoping to improve his skills is in speaking Portuguese, as both his wife and children can speak fluently Portuguese. However, Tom Brady has said he can't speak that well in Portuguese yet, but he's learning and practicing. Thank you for listening to the Zach Show. See you next time. Thanks for listening to podcasts produced by the Broadcasting for Radio and Contemporary Media Program at Durham College. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 1059 The Region. listening to new music on the region an interview-based podcast that showcases new music and provides industry insight i'm your host christina lavecchia music director at 105.9 the region whether it's a brand new talent or an established artist we bring you conversations with performers from york region and beyond Welcome to another episode of New Music on the Region. Today is World Radio Day in honor of a medium that is more than 110 years old and currently considered the most consumed worldwide. This episode, I wanted to bring in Canadian music correspondent and radio host Eric Alper to talk about how radio has evolved and how the relationship between music and radio has changed over the years. That chat is coming up. You're listening to New Music on the Region podcast. 
celebrating World Radio Day with you. Thank you for your continued support. We are 105.9 The Region. Joining me on the line is Eric Alper, music expert and the host of That Eric Alper Show on Sirius XM. Eric also has his own public relations company. He's worked with artists like Duran Duran, Robert Palmer, Sinead O'Connor, Jerry Lee Lewis. The list impressively goes on. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm much better now that those three names are mentioned. I'm like, hey, that's me. Happy Radio Day. Yeah, Happy Radio Day. You know, the ability to just be heard by other people other than the people in your home <laughs> is, uh, is pretty special. It's pretty great. You, know, you were the first person I thought of to have this chat with, so thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. So let's start off by telling us how you got started in the music industry and what drew you to radio. The music industry for me when I was a teenager, it was made up of things that I read and people that I read about in Billboard magazine when I was about 12 and reading about all the people that were working at the record labels and the artists and the managers, the radio stations, the music directors and program directors and the hosts were like, they were like sci-fi characters to me. They were like the first time that somebody goes and sees Star Wars and then that's it. They're like a Star Wars fan for life. And when I hit that age, I just loved the idea that radio was not only broadcasting to me and me alone, because that's how I certainly felt, but that they were, they were playing songs and talking about things that I wanted to talk about, that I wanted to hear. And then uh, when I found this show called WKRP in Cincinnati, that was my all-time, one of my all-time favorite shows, and I thought... I want to work at a radio station. That's exactly what I want to do, knowing nothing that these characters were actually fictional. But yeah, I just wanted to be around people who were just as music obsessed as I was. Do you have a favorite radio memory? When I first knew I wanted to do something in music, my dad knew one of the local DJs over at a radio station in Toronto, and he did the overnight shift at a it was like a kind of hit radio station where they played everything. They would play the Archies and Johnny Mathis and the Cult and whatever was a hit, that's what they played. And he did the, the graveyard shift, as it was known. He did like midnight to 6 a.m. So he got me to go into the station and um, hang out with him for six hours. Mm-hmm. And I remember being exhausted and tired and falling asleep. And I was about 12 or 13 at the time. But I loved it. I loved the excitement. I loved watching him go and talk on the radio. His name was Paul Kellogg. And he was the one that really kind of taught me about how radio all works and the things to talk about, how you should sound, how you should talk. And then by now, of course, I've forgotten and lost all of that and gone the complete other direction. (laughs) In terms of music, Research Co. recently did a study that shows that radio is still the top medium for music consumption in Canada, a medium that's over 110 years old. What is it about radio that sets it apart from the rest? You know, when I hang out with, with music geeks and music snobs that I see on Twitter, they'll always invariably talk about uh, that there's no good music anymore. And I think part of the problem with that thinking is, A, it's not true, and B, you have to do a little bit and dig a little bit deeper in order to sometimes find the things that, that you would love as a human being, other like-minded artists that are in your collection to find something new. And I think that 
philosophy started to happen a lot more when music streaming services and YouTube started coming along where there's 55 million songs, there's 120 billion videos on, on YouTube. And sometimes the choice is pretty overwhelming, especially when it's like, I want to hear this, but I have no idea what to listen to. The great thing about radio is that there are experts and there are people that love music, that love radio like you, who kind of job it is to sift through all of those songs and find the very best of it. So the music streaming services and YouTube, they definitely have a place in the world. But I think for the majority of the people that are out there who listen to the radio for X amount of minutes or hours during the day when they're traveling back and forth to work, or that they use it as a vital communication tool to find out about news, traffic, weather, sports, and the latest songs that are being hit. It's nice to know that somebody's actually picking out the best of what they think you should be listening to. And they were curators before curators were even invented. They were influencers before Instagram. And I think that they don't get enough credit for kind of going through all the music that's available to find the one that I think I would dig. And like you were mentioning, streaming services and social media and YouTube and all that, with the presence of that more so over the last, uh, I would say, maybe five years, did you find that the relationship radio has with music has changed and has it changed a lot? Do you think it's improved or do you think it will change further in the future? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that we've seen in the last couple of months is the absolute consolidation of radio station ownership, where a certain owner... Uh, who owns a, a station, a pop radio station in Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, Halifax, will play the exact same music throughout all those markets, thinking that, well, if you like this song in Winnipeg, you'll probably, Canadians will probably really like it throughout the whole country. And, and I get that kind of thinking, but there's just something about radio that's locally that fits neatly into who we are as people. You know, almost 80% of the people out there have either served on a committee or of a local organization, or that they've been a part of a local nonprofit group, or that they've donated to a local nonprofit group. Still those same numbers, those really high numbers, um, they are reading the local newspaper. They're looking at cable access television programs and, and stations that are in their market. So there's still a need for that localization of talent, of jobs, of that new traffic weather sports. And I think a large part of it comes down to that, yes, we're all part of one country, yes, or about us that are the same more than differences, but the one that does separate each other is that we still care deeply about our local community and our local issues. And that's one thing that consolidation of radio can't offer. And that's why stations like this is amazing and, and will never die because People want this kind of local coverage. They want that local flavor. They want the local personalities. And they get really upset when it's not there. Definitely. And we pride ourselves in, in having that format here at 105.9 The Region. We have that local edge to us, too, in, in servicing York Region. Even with music artists, um, we have a lot of local talent here that we feature at 105.9 The Region, whether it's from York Region or maybe the GTA, anywhere there. So definitely there's value in that, having that format. And, and I think it builds a, a stronger connection with your audiences as well. Yeah, for sure. Every artist, no matter how big, wants to be recognized and feel accomplished that they're getting that support locally. And for a lot of 
um, a lot of artists that are out there in the music world, the local radio station is the first taste of, of success that they have. The first time that they hear themselves on the radio is primarily through their, their local or hometown radio station offering that kind of level of support. You, you don't get anywhere just by happening overnight. It starts off with your family and your friends and your associates and your community, and, and local radio stations are absolutely a key part of that. And while radio has forever been a part of promotion for artists, do you see this changing? Has it changed already? It's changed a little bit, but that's only because the barriers for brand new artists is a little bit harder than what it used to be in the past with most commercial stations across Canada, where if you're 16 years old and you're recording your own music in the bedroom or home studio, you can upload it to the music streaming services and promote it until you're blue in the face on social media and, and bypass that traditional radio system. But you don't get to the superstar status without radio. I don't care what kind of music that you play. You still need to hit the center of the population who listens to radio. You know, you could have a song like Olivia Rodrigo's Driver's License do 500 million streams on on music streaming services, but it doesn't become an absolute legendary song until my parents know about it and until it's on the radio and it's heard on the radio and solidifies its classic status from being on the radio it's a really great song it's a big hit but it's not a legendary hit if music is important to you you and you're an artist eventually you're going to have to cross the path of radio and figure out how to get on it and we speak with a lot of up-and-coming music artists here at the station what would you say are some things that they should think about before approaching radio stations with their music? You know, one of the things that's scary about it is that I don't think that they realize fully that they're not just competing with their local artists or their local friends who might be in bands for that space for their music director to play your song. You're really in competition with every song in the history of the planet because artists have to think about, well, why are we going to get played and not the Bare Naked Ladies? Why are they going to play us? rather than Nirvana? And it's a really hard question to answer, especially because there's almost a thousand reasons why radio won't play your song and only a handful of them of why they are. You've got to come correct with radio. You've got to have proof that people are listening to your music and not shutting it off, that they're reacting to it, they're connecting to it. Because all radio wants to make sure is that when they decide to play a new music, unless they're mandated to play X amount of percentages of new music, they just want to make sure that people aren't going to be unhappy with playing the song and shutting it off. So for new artists, they have to come with a little bit of facts and a little bit of numbers and saying, you know, 500,000 streams over here and now we're ready for radio or we've increased the amount of followers and fans that we have on social media. Prove to them that it's a really good idea for radio to play you because quite frankly, radio doesn't have the space, it doesn't have the time and it doesn't have to play you. They've got lots of other opportunities to play them and all those artists started off with zero fans and zero followers as well. So it's not impossible, but it's hard and it should be hard. It should only be that the great get played on the radio, and primarily that's what happens. 
And do you think they would benefit to team up with someone like you who's in public relations to kind of build that relationship and uh, getting their, their songs heard and, and uh, just kind of getting themselves out there a little bit more? I highly recommend people that work with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because it could, like, it, it's not even a question of, of, I mean, look, people like me, we have the contacts. At, at all the major outlets and, and, and smaller outlets across the country with every newspaper, every magazine, every blog, every organization, every person that has a radio show on campus and community radio. I mean, you know, it's kind of our job to build those relationships and make sure that we're not wasting their time, giving them things that, that, that I think would do really well on their radio station. But it's also, you know, having that inside knowledge of what is also going to be released so that they don't end up releasing a song to the world on the same day that Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Jay-Z are all releasing surprise albums. The ability to, to get the timing right, to get the song right. You know, there's, there's times when I'm talking to an artist and their song is four and a half minutes long and they wonder why that they haven't gotten any radio play before we met. And it's like, you know, it, radio just has a really hard time playing anything that's longer than three and a half minutes and rightfully so. So I think it's a matter of just offering the experience that I can provide for them in the 25 years that I've been doing this to kind of put their best foot forward and, and get that music heard and at least have a fighting chance. I think as long as they believe in their music and they believe in what they're doing, I'm happy to work with, with bands that are first and artists that are first starting out and superstar artists. So, you know, I can go either way on, on the kind of music it is and, uh, and everything like that. I, I just, always, always, always try to work with people who are good people because those are the ones that I want to spend my time with. And for anyone looking to connect with you, what's the best way they could do that? They can send me an email to eric at thatericalper.com or visit the website anytime at thatericalper.com. It was great having you on You Music on the Region podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. You're doing great. We'll talk soon. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.